Good evening, everyone. This is Rafael Garcia here with Shawan Humes for episode 232 of the MMA Ratings Podcast. I wanted to take some time to for checking out our show. Please be sure to like, share, and subscribe wherever you find us. But if you need a reminder, you can always check us out on our flagship, first and foremost, at MMARatings.net and .com. You can hit us up on uh, Instagram and Twitter at MMARatingsNet in both spaces. And you can catch this podcast across all channels at uh, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, and Spotify. And last but not least, check us out on YouTube at MMA Ratings there as well. Myself, I'm Black, or excuse me, I'm R. Garcia underscore sports at Twitter and Instagram. Schwan is Black Jordan Brain on Instagram and Twitter. Schwan, why don't you let everybody know how you're doing today, man? Uh, not too bad. Staying busy as usual. So all I do is try to be productive and uh, try to interact with people about combat sports. I know uh, Chris Reaney actually contacted me. He's thinking about doing a volume three of the fine art of violence. And he wants me to do a chapter uh, discussing my uh, prediction of the Pena um, Nunez upset. Tell him I want to do a chapter. How about that? Let me. Do I will tell him. For the I will tell him. It's a tough list, but I, I will I will plead your case for you. <laughs> but yeah, um, I, I I love his content. I have the second one sitting on my desk. I wish I could get the first one, but I think he's all out of that. So I will be buying the third as well. Um, great artist, uh, great mind for MMA. I like to carry mine around because I train kids, and I'm like, yeah, you know, I was in a book. I I contributed to a book, and they're like, what are you serious? And I'm like, yeah. here we go. Uh, Good stuff there, sir. So let's go ahead and get started because we have a little bit to talk about today. Um, it's been a long week, man, and uh, the week's not over yet. A couple more days left. So let's jump into this so we can try to keep the show around an hour, hour 15. Let's start with UFC 271, where Israel Adesanya is still the UFC middleweight champion, picking up a close unanimous decision victory over Robert Whitaker. Now, I was having an interesting conversation with a friend of mine. Uh, Suni hasn't been on the show, but uh, you may know Suni from Suni Imhotep from the Boisterous Boys podcast. He's also fought in Bellator as well. He's recovering from a knee injury before he gets back into the fight game. But he and I were talking about the fight, and he had a very we had the same view about who won the fight and how it played out. But I really appreciated his description of the fight because he described it as competitive but not close. There's a lot of conversation around whether or not Whitaker did enough to win the fight. Some people have gone back and forth on changing their minds since we're rewatching the fight. I have not rewatched it yet. But there's a lot of conversation around whether or not Whitaker did enough to win the fight. If the rule if if he did enough to beat in air quote the champions to take the title from him. So Schwan, how did you score a fight and what are your thoughts about this? Was this a fight that Whitaker did win and you think that he messed up or in the and the judges got it wrong? Did you score for Adesanya or do you see this did you see this fight as being closer uh than we thought it would be? Um, I didn't think the fight was particularly close. I think what gave what gave it that impression is the fact that in the first fight he got completely smoked. I mean, he couldn't lay a glove on Adesanya. He couldn't get in range. He couldn't take him down. Not that he tried. He couldn't get out of the way of any of Adesanya's shots. Basically, the performance Adesanya put on set such a high bar. The only thing he could have done to 
exceed that was to basically hit him once and knock him out like Connor did to Aldo. There was no way he was going to be able to um, outperform himself unless I guess maybe it went five rounds and he didn't get touched. Like he literally didn't take one shot and just dominated. There was no way he was going to outdo that performance. I think people saw Whitaker having success in spots and they took that as the fight being closed because he took him down. He was able to hang on his back. He landed a couple hard shots. He landed a couple hard shots in the first fight. He just couldn't put enough together to do any real damage. So it's like, basically it's, it's kind of like what I said before in the first, in the second fight, I said, I didn't know that if Whitaker was going to be able to manage in between being deliberate in his offense and his aggression and have enough aggression to score points and really do harm to Adesanya. I expected him to be more defensively sound. I expected him to be a little bit more hesitant and controlled with his offensive measures. I figured his wrestling would come into play, but I didn't think it'd be a biggest factor because he wouldn't be able to set up his strikes or get in position for clean enough takedowns where he could just maintain control or just get him down left and right. That's pretty much what happened. Um, He restrained himself. He fought with poise. He fought with some deliberation, but he never really turned up the volume or turned up the aggression. So while he was in the fight, he was, um, he, to me, he was never really close to winning it because he was never really doing enough damage. He'd land some big shots here and there, but the one consistent in the fight thing consistently in the fight was Adesanya just chopping away at his leg. So yeah, he might land, you know, maybe three to five, two or three big shots around, but Adesanya is landing like 10, 12, 13, 14 leg kicks, which are obviously hindering his, which even if the judges don't know this, I've talked to judges, the fights are kind of like a storyline. So you can tell me the leg kicks aren't hurting you, but if the leg kicks aren't hurting you, why can't you get to the positions you want to? If the leg kick isn't hurting you, why can't you explode off your leg for the takedown? If the leg kicks aren't hurting you, why aren't you putting combinations together instead of just throwing one or two shots at a time? You can tell me the leg kicks have no effect, but you, you're not doing the things we've seen you do against everybody else. So to some judges, in the back of their mind, they're like, well, obviously the leg kicks are the most determining factor because it's la- the leg kicks are landing consistently, nothing's stopping them, and this other guy, even though he has moments of success, he can he can never really build on them. So how successful can these big shots he's landing be if he can't build on them? How successful are these takedowns if one he can't get them all the time and two he can't build on them? Before and before we go back into it, I think part of Robert Whitaker's problem is against other fighters. He's looked so good as Israel Adesanya said he ran through everybody before. And so then you see him fighting somebody he's having struggles with and he doesn't look as dominant or as physical or as athletic. So automatically, it's just a bad look for him because you're used to him dominating. And now he's not. So any round he doesn't clearly dominate, you know, if if I get bought into bought into that kind of stuff, I would believe that um, he's losing. But what Whitaker and his team were trying to do, they were trying to do what Jackson Wink does. They were trying to win on control went on aggression, and went off big moments of offense. Kind of what Holly Holm tried to do to Cyborg. But it didn't work then, and it, and it pretty much didn't work for Robert Whitaker either. It made it more competitive, and it made some people think the fight was close, but it really wasn't. He It was like a competitive beating, a competitive outclassing. He was never completely outclassed. He was, in, he was competitive enough to stay in it, but never really competitive enough to do enough damage to actually win it. So... Let's kind of break all that down here, because the first thing I want to talk about is Whitaker's wrestling. So I believe he scored four um, kind of takedowns. I don't have the numbers 
right in front of me um, and I could pull them up. Give me two seconds to do that. But did he not go to that well enough? Actually, let me back up because there was something that uh, I think Brian Campbell talked about on uh, Morning Combat this week that I think is really relevant. And that was that Whitaker started too slow. The first round, he tried, it looked like, I don't want to say he was playing it safe, but he was kind of gauging what he could do against Adesanya and how that would play out. And you saw him get dropped in the first round there. So do you think he, he started slowly? Had he come out of the gate a little bit faster, as you saw him um, kind of turn it on in rounds three and, and beyond? Do you think that he played it a little bit too safe in that first round, especially after getting knocked down? I don't know. I don't know if he played it too safe. I, uh, Whitaker, I mean, look at the fight against Brunson. Look at the fight against Adesanya, the first fight. Look at even some of the fights against Gaslam and other people. When he gets really aggressive, he uses he's from a traditional he's from a traditional martial arts background. So he's used to instead of always coming behind his jab and inching or creeping his way into range, he'll be at a distance and he'll explode, either explode with strikes where he's shifting into range, or he'll explode and get to range and start bombing on you. But in exploding against a better athlete or against a person who's not just going to concede or cover up, he's get he's gotten caught. I don't know. There's been multiple fights. I can't even think of them. There's multiple fights have been against Brunson. Back and forth, back and forth. He almost got knocked out two or three times in that fight, walking into shots. When he fought Adesanya the first time, he kept leaping in with big shots, leaping in with big kicks. And then he ran into some shots, got dropped, and then he eventually got smoked. Of course, he's going to be a little bit more deliberate because against a guy who's an active, accurate, long counterpuncher, leaping in isn't going to work. Against most MMA guys, they back up so they can reset or they cover up or they shoot for reactive takedown. Adesanya will stand right here and throw with you right down the pipe. He'll punch with you. Same time counter. If you leap in and I'm throwing the same time counter and I see it coming, I'm just going to blow your doors off. And that's exactly what happened the first time. So Whitaker was trying to work his way into spots so he could mitigate the cleanliness of Adesanya's counters and force Adesanya to rely on a less damaging attack or a weapon to have success. That, that's all he was trying to do. He was trying to slow the fight down so that his physicality and his strength could be a determining factor. He, he knew he could match him speed for speed, and he knew he could match him at range with strikes. That was never going to happen. So do you think that there, if, if you were in Whitaker's corner and you were having a conversation about how that fight went, what, what are two things that you change uh, in how he performed? Um, and I'm going to kind of, I'm going to give you some thoughts on how I thought he did towards the end of the fight. But what are two things that you think he should change, he should have changed if, if they wanted to come out the victor? Um, I mean, probably if he's going to do anything, uh not let not let Adesanya build up momentum. When he was fighting at range, he didn't want to really throw a lot early on. So Adesanya is just same thing he did with Costa, same thing he did with Yo Romero. He's just chopping away at his leg and he's landing two or three, four or five shots before Whitaker's even throwing one. So he's just outworking him. Just off the fact of once he realized Whitaker was just gonna be a little bit hesitant, he just kept opening up. Now he wasn't throwing anything big with his hands where he could open himself up to a counter. But he was routinely just chopping away at that leg, chopping away at the leg, touching the body. I would have had Whitaker be a little bit more aggressive in his counters, not throwing anything super heavy, but making sure that when Adesanya throws something, you're throwing something right back. You're not allowing him to get his timing and to build up his momentum. 
Um, I probably would have told him he needs to if, throw body head combinations instead of just throwing to the head. It's hard to hit out of science to the head. Not impossible, but it's hard. But the body's always there. You could throw high. Adesanya likes to lean back or tip to the side. Leans back, right there for the body. Leans back, right there to the body. Slips to the side, right there to the body. I mean, that way you can find a rhythm. And you, even if you're not hurting him per se, or you're not, it's not big damaging shots, you're cutting into the gas tank for one, because he's kind of a slenderly built guy. And two, at least in his mind, he knows that every time he touches you, there's going to be a price to pay for it. And it's not as predictable as where it's coming from. I don't know that Whitaker really threw a lot of active body shots. I don't know if they threw a lot of head and body combination punches, if I remember correctly. So if you're attacking somebody from multiple levels, it's harder to defend. If I'm just going to throw headshots, slip, slip, parry, block, all that nonsense, just throwing the body, I can have counters for you because that's all you're doing. If you just kick the legs, you're not even really setting them up. I can throw something right down the pipe and counter you. But if you're attacking multiple levels, it's very hard for me to avoid every single strike. One of those strikes, if you're throwing them, is going to be the hard one. And then once you land that one, you can start building on it. But the thing is, he could never land two or three shots in succession. It was like a glancing shot and a big shot. But he could never follow up that big shot with anything. If you can't follow it up, then you can't build on any of your progress or your aggression. So you can't really ever take over control of a round because that guy's not just outlanding you, but he's landing and building off. He's building off the leg kicks. Whitaker never really built off his big shots or built off his jab. So that's a, that actually segues into what I wanted to talk about, him building off of his jab, because he was throwing the jab effectively. He scored a lot with it, made um, Adesanya step back multiple times, but he wasn't following up on that. So do you think two things? A, that not following up on that on, on that with maybe more combinations or even leading into a takedown from that, that space was a huge detriment to his game. And then B, is that something you think more fighters will begin to take advantage of? Um, and that's basically I'm, I'm asking, are more people going to begin sticking their jab out there when facing Adesanya? Is that a safe aspect of a, of a strategy to beat him in the future? I, I just think it's common sense. I have, I've had this, I mean, once again, not comparing myself to the fighter. I just have to compare it to my experience. When I spar people, and I used to train a lot. The guy would always tell me, one guy actually told me, he's like, you're landing your jab. He goes, you're working really hard to get your jab. You're feigning. You're being defensively responsible. You're getting into spots and you're boom to the body, boom to the face. But you're working too hard just to land a jab. And in landing it, you're letting the guy off the hook because you're not putting anything onto it. People, unless you were completely dominating a fight, I mean completely dominating it, you're not going to just jab your way to a win unless it's a power jab and you're really busting someone up or you're landing jabs and they can't land anything in return. So Whitaker is doing all this trouble to not get countered, to not get pushed back. He's doubling, tripling to get in, but he might land one or two jabs. One or two jabs compared to the five or six leg kicks and two or three kicks of the body aren't going to cover it up. And that's not even countering, not even speaking of the, the shots that Adesanya is thrown to the head. I'm sure he saw what, Jan did, but Jan was a bigger guy who was willing to eat more shots because he felt being bigger, he could absorb them, and Jan had a bigger reach. Whitaker's got to get to a certain range where his jab works. He's got to get to a certain spot. Jan could be standing at the same range that Adesanya kicks and just stick his arm out. So when he just throws it from a standing position, he can already touch Adesanya. When he doubles and triples it, he's pushing Adesanya back while he's walking in. 
Whitaker is not really pushing him back. Whitaker is trying to get to him. So when Adesanya backs up, he's trying to set a trap so that Whitaker steps in. He can check Hogum off. If Whitaker drops for the takedown, he could have that lead knee. He's trying to bait him a little bit because Whitaker is shorter. So he's trying to slowly get into range. But Adesanya is better at navigating range. So he's just picking him off. Like you, you have to pick a choice. When you're facing a guy, it's like when a Mario Barrios fought Keith Thurman. When you're facing a guy and it's an uphill battle, you almost you're somebody will say, well, you can't do this because you could get countered. You can't do this because you get taken down. Whatever people tell you. The fact of the matter is it's a win or it's a loss. And when it's for a title fight, you're going to have to take some risks to possibly win. Now, he could say, I didn't get knocked out this time. Some of the stuff I did worked. But it didn't work to the point where you were effectively winning rounds. You kept rounds close by being more defensively responsible and more methodical. You didn't really win them. So for that to happen, you had to take chances. And I'm assuming he didn't want to come in too hard because he didn't want to get his doors blown off. So, yeah, it was more competitive. Yeah, it was much better. But at the end of the day, the result was still the same. A fairly decisive loss. Not as decisive as a knockout, but still fairly decisive. Yeah, and there's a lot of people um, arguing about the decisiveness of the win, and that's something I'm going to have to really go back and look at because after the fifth round ended and I was done scoring it, I thought that it was pretty clear that Adesanya had won. Um, But there's a lot of conversation around whether or not that victory was secure or not. Um, I want to talk about two other topics. Being that you wrestle and you grapple, because the thing I'm thinking is maybe people felt he had some control and moments he had him up against the fence. The takedowns are supposed to matter. But my thing was he wasn't going to be able to secure them to really do damage. He didn't really do that. And even when he was hanging on his back, I mean, was he really threatening him with anything? I, I don't know. I'm not as an advanced grappler. There was one moment him. where he he looked like he could have threatened with a, a choke, but Adesanya does such a good job of getting back to his feet and fighting the hands that it wasn't anything that was – I think that was in round four. It wasn't anything that was a lasting um, moment. That actually, I can, I can maybe be able to tell you. Right now, looking at it, uh, that was, yeah, that was in, that was, it was either round two, well, it, it may have been round four, where he scored that that takedown and got to his back. But, I mean, he he scored at least one takedown in every round, except for the first. But I, I think the biggest thing was, it's like, we used to, I've talked about this with fighters before. Like Chuck Liddell, people always said he had great, he, he could get up all the time. And he would say, because I don't care if I get submitted or knocked out. I'm not going to let you secure position because once you secure position, everybody's worried about getting submitted or knocked out. So they'll tie up, kind of secure you or control you and then work for a submission. He said the best time to get up is right when you hit the ground, try to your damnedest to get back up or at least force a scramble because then you can fight your way out. But if you're trying to, if you, a lot of guys try to play it safe and they're not good enough off their bat to get someone off them or to submit them. So they basically give up the round off control. Adesanya, as soon as he touches, he's right back up. So even though he's getting those takedowns, I mean, what is he? I mean, we're talking about like he's down for like, I don't know. I think there was one one he was extended down for extended moments. But for most of them, it's like he's down, he's right back up. He's down, he's right back up. He's down, he's right back up. Yeah, I, I, don't only, know. I mean, he – the only round Whitaker had more than a, a minute of ground control was in the fifth. He had a minute and 38 seconds. Every other round – was between 52 seconds and, and, and 30 seconds. So, yeah, uh, he was scored to down Adesanya would get right right back up. Um, I want to move on a little bit, and let's talk about what's next with both of these individuals here. 
Adesanya first because obviously he, he he made it clear that he wants to fight Jared Cannonier next because that is an individual who has been um, winning and he defeated defeated Derek Brunson on Saturday as well on, on the same event. Let's talk about that fight real quick. I want I want to hit on that, but I also want to talk about this growing idea that Hazmat Chameyoff is the guy to beat Adesanya. I want to touch on that as well too. But first, let's point at um, Cannonier. If that do you think that fight should be next? And how do you see that fight playing out for both men? Well, I mean, if you go by, he fought recently. Sean Strickland fought recently. Sean Strickland eked out a workman line, paint by the numbers win after talking a lot of trash and drawing up interest. And Cannonier knocked out Brunson, who was went what on a three or four fight win streak, if I recall correctly. And he knocked him out in devastating fashion. Um, so I would assume Cannonier is going to get the fight. He's he's the more devastating fighter. He's the more exciting fighter. He's beaten the better competition the last few fights. He's also fought Whitaker and lost to him, but gave him a fairly tough go. So I, I would assume that it, it has to be Cannoneer. I don't know that Strickland made his case based purely off his fighting. I can see how there'd be like a sideshow aspect of it because he talks a lot of trash and he's awkward and funny. But just purely fighting, the, the strickland not Adesanya matchup is it's a nightmare for Strickland. He just does not have the physical tools or the skill set to exploit the holes in Adesanya's game. Yeah, I think that he's a big puncher, but I don't see enough of the pre-work before that that will allow him to land a big shot. I think he gets picked apart, maybe not stopped like Costa did, but I definitely do think he he gets picked apart from range or across 25 minutes. Yeah, I, I don't think he's a good enough athlete. He might hit hard, but he's not explosive. He doesn't deliver it fast, and and he just he's not he's not willing to take too many chances either. He's like. Well, the guy backed off. Well, you know, you could just ramp up the the volume and the aggression and get him out of there. I hate when guys say that. Well, they're just running from me. Well, I mean, if you were really technically good enough, you'd find a way to hunt them down and and put a stamp on the fight. The fact that it's closed is because there's a lot. There's, there's a whole. You you're not you're limited as an athlete and you can't just overwhelm them, or you're limited as a technician and you can't get to the spot to have continued continued enough continue, continued success to separate yourself from there clearly. He's got both of those issues. So I, I, I don't know how he would go about beating Adesanya. He's like a worse version of multiple guys that Adesanya has already beaten by now. So then let's talk about Hasma here because, man, I'm seeing it left and right. Chimeoff's the guy to beat um, Adesanya. I am not a fan. Like, I get why people are on the um, Chimeoff hype train. I understand. It's, it's understandable. Um, I want to see how he looks against, against Gilbert Burns. But people are really are ready to write this guy as the next two division champion. Do you think he is the man to beat Izzy, or is there something that people aren't taking into account? Uh, there's a lot of things people aren't taking into account. The reason they they pick him over Adesanya is because he is super. He's he's athletic. He's big for the weight class and welterweight. He's bullying guys. He's athletically blowing their doors off, he's taking them down, he's beating them up on the feet. So they see that, and they figure, given his wrestling and grappling background, they've seen Adesanya get taken down before. They've seen Adesanya up against the fence before. They've seen guys get to Adesanya if they have some athleticism. They figure he has the athleticism, he's got enough physicality, and he's such a, a good wrestler and a grappler that he'll easily take him down and he'll have his way with them. That's, that's what they're thinking. But what nobody else is thinking is this. He hasn't faced athletes who were com- who, who were comparable to him in size, 
or athleticism. He hasn't. Who, who's the best? He hasn't faced a guy who's comparable to his hand speed or his foot speed. He hasn't really faced guys who are better wrestlers than him. He hasn't really faced anybody who's got the physicality or the skill set to fight back out of bad positions or to make him work. He When he runs at people, he gets to the positions he wants to land his strikes. When he goes for takedowns, guys just fall over and he gets to the position he wants. Guys can't even stay away from him long enough to pick him off with shots or counters or leads or anything to maintain distance and make him work. He hasn't had to work for anything. So the thing I'm asking everybody is, you're saying he can just dominate. What happens when he runs in full speed like that and he runs into a knee? What happens when he runs in full speed like that and it's a one-two? What happens if he can't finish in the first round and he goes all out? Because he goes all out to finish and it goes into round two. We've seen Adesanya take a beating and come back in the second round. We have no idea what Cosmot will do if he does not finish in the first round. We've never seen it. We haven't even seen him take any punishment. So the first time he gets hit to the body or kicked to the legs or head kicked, he might get dropped and he might be finished. We it's the same, it's kind of what we have with Wiley versus Rose. Wiley was physical. She had dominated Andrade. She's shown so much athleticism and physicality and smarts and high volume. And I was like, she's never faced someone who could put her away with one shot. Like somebody with the skill to. Cause I, cause Andrade is more more like a cavewoman, kind of a clubbing educated brawler. She faces Rose. Rose kicks her in the face, done. Fight's over. Because she had never faced anything like that. Cosmont hasn't faced any adversity. He hasn't had a guy defend his takedown. He hasn't really had a guy make him have to attempt multiple takedowns. He hasn't had a guy stick him on the end of his jab. He hasn't had a guy hit him with a big counter running in. He hasn't had a guy who's even been able to survive his punishment. What happens when a guy can't survive? When a guy can't survive? Does he have the gas? Will he maintain his poise? If he can't get a takedown, will he get frustrated and start getting sloppy? We have no idea. So, yeah, he's got the potential and the tools, but he's shown nothing in his skill set that says he's going to be able to get to these spots and that he can handle it if he can't dominate from those spots. What you're saying sounds a lot like um, the Chad Mendez-Jose Aldo fight, and that's really how that played out. Everyone kind of had... Mendez tabbed as a guy to beat Aldo and in two tries 25 well actually not even 25 minutes because he got smoked in the first one but he attempted twice and he was unable to do so I I do like what Hazmat has shown in the cage but he hasn't shown it against someone who is prepared to make the fight ugly make the fight tough and that's why he I think that the skill been in the fight. Fight is, is so important he hasn't been in a fight he's been assaulting people it's aggravated assault he hasn't been in a fight yet. A fight is when when somebody fights back. He has not really had to face someone fighting back. What if he misses on a takedown and he comes up off of one knee and out of sign is over him, getting ready to blow his doors off? What if he comes in wide in and everybody else everybody else backs up in a straight line so he can get him against fence? Out of sign is not going to back up in a straight line. He'll back up to bait you in. He'll pivot out and he'll run right into a left hook. You know that that's what I'm saying. Once again, he's got the tools. He's got stylistically, I see it. But when you've never been in any sort of adversity in a real fight, you've always had it your way. I have no idea what you're going to do. The minute isn't. Amanda Nunes was great until she doesn't have it her way. Chad Mendes was great until he didn't have it his way. A lot of people are great until they don't have it their way. And that's all I'm asking. If he doesn't have it his way, what happens then next? 
I agree with you there, sir. I really do. Um, so what do you think is next for Whitaker? What should he do? Um, he's fought the, the champion twice. He's lost um, he lost the belt, then he lost a close fight to him. Uh, so what should be next for him? Do you think he sticks around at 185? He's kind of talked about retirement a little bit. I don't see that happening. But what do you think would be next for him? I don't think he's he's a contender in, in 80. I mean, he's got to move back to the end of the low. He's going to win. He's got to win at least three to four more fights to have a chance. And in three to four more fights, I would assume Adesanya is going to at least be trying to go to light heavyweight to get that title. He's going to try again. That's what I think. So if he wants to stay around middleweight, he's going to be out of that picture. Unless somebody pulls out, he's got to be out of that picture for another, what, two, three years minimum? I mean, actually, if uh, Cosmo really wants to show that he could be a middleweight, what he should do is move up, beat Robert Whitaker convincingly. There's his, there's, there's his entryway to Adesanya automatically. Because Adesanya wants something that excites him, right? He wants a fight that will drawing people and force him to be the best he could be, this guy just walks through Whitaker, well, he'll have Adesanya's attention then. But as far as that goes, I think he's closer to retirement than anything else. He's been through some psychological stuff. His body's taken a huge amount of damage. He's lost to the best guy twice. I mean, I don't know that Adesanya wants a third fight, and if he does, that's going to be at least two years away. And most, like I said, more than likely, Adesanya is going to move back up to light heavyweight to see if give that a go. Um, I really don't know. I, I think I think I think retirement's a lot closer than than uh, than we think it is. Interesting, sir. We'll have to come back to that if he does actually step away from the sport and decides to retire. Let's move on and talk about some of the other bits from UFC 271, including Tai Tuivasa thumping. Derek Lewis and what was a fun heavyweight bout um there were some back and forth moments for both men you did call this and I wanted to, I wanted to specifically talk about how you how you talked about this because you pointed out that this would if Lewis loses it would be more like him fighting down to Tuivasa's level and it wouldn't necessarily be an upset but I want to flip that on his head because I feel like Tuivasa fought up to the Derek Lewis that is a quote-unquote contenders level and show that he had some ability to hang around with a big puncher when he was in a dangerous situation. Do you think it was more of Tuivasa fighting up or Lewis fighting down? I don't ever think, I, like, when you say fighting down, Derek Lewis doesn't really fight down because he only does what he always does. But the thing about it is, is his rank in the heavyweight division is of an elite fighter. There's nothing about Derek Lewis's skill set that says elite. The only thing elite about him is maybe his timing and his power. I mean, the size and strength, yeah, but all all his elite things are physical. He doesn't have a good jab. He's not good defensively. He doesn't have a layered offense. He doesn't throw combinations. He doesn't really even body punch, if I recall correctly, in any of his fights. He lands big shots, and most of his fights are him getting taken down, beaten up, and a lot of times, let's let's be honest, in those fights, there's the times he gets hit and he looks like he wants to quit. He's looking the other way. He's running away from shots. He just hangs in long enough to land a big bomb. Part of it is because he's clever. He knows how to set up his power, not correctly, using a jab or feints or pressuring, but he can use these big strikes to force people to the fence to get to the spots he wants to get in. But he's considered elite in nothing he does as far as any. Anywhere in the fight is elite, except how he finishes. That's the only thing elite about him. 
So when he's fighting Ty, Ty's a better MMA fighter. He's a better pure striker. I think he's better in clinches. He throws more strikes, leg kicks, body kicks, head kicks, elbows, different kinds of elbows. He throws, He's sharper with the feet. He's sharper with his defense. He closes distance better. He knows how to he knows how to maintain distance better. He's better than Lewis in every single as technical aspect of the fight. The only thing Lewis has is he's incredibly gifted and strong as an athlete, and he hits incredibly hard. So the fight basically turned when he when he they got in that scramble, it's high up, and he landed some shots. If Derek, I'd ask everybody like this: If Derek Lewis can't knock you out, how exactly is Derek Lewis going to beat you? And he could not. He could knock him out. It's like two of us have said: the shots he hit me with. We've and people always say the shots he hit me with would have knocked anybody else out. When you say that about Derek Lewis, it's not hyperbole because he has literally knocked out every other ranked heavyweight with those shots. But once he could knock him out, we know Derek Lewis isn't a cardio machine. We know he can't fight at pace. We know his defense is terrible. We even know that his chin isn't great. It's just. Guy is like Mikey Garcia or a guy who hits really hard. People won't open up on him because they're afraid of what's coming back. So they're very careful. So they don't really ever try to finish him because they're afraid of walking into a big shot. Two of us didn't care. He opened up. And when he did, it was over for Lewis. Lewis didn't have any other way to slow the fight down. He didn't have any way to match him in the clinch other than to lay on him and use his physical strength. I mean, outside of the initial grappling exchanges, which, once again, I'm not a high-level wrestler grappler. I wasn't impressed by him. Maybe you were impressed by his technique. I was not. But he landed his shots. They didn't work. And from that point on, the fight was two of us to win. So, and that's just what he did. I mean, he blew the doors off of Lewis and took the fight. Do you see this as a... Were you impressed with Lewis's grappling attempts and his wrestling? I mean, he didn't have any. He was too busy and punching the face. Okay, I just made sure because everybody's like, well, he showed that he's a he's a multifaceted... Mul- I was like, all this, any anything he did, he didn't want to do. It's just what he. I think the one thing he he's shown that he can do well is he forces people. Uh, he measures distance well in a way that he forces you to back up against the cage so he can start thumping on you. If you have good footwork, like we saw with um, Surogan, for example, if he has good footwork and you recognize where you are in the cage and you can move around him. That negates that, but he does a good job of getting you to go straight back using like the high head kicks and the jumping kicks that, that he throws, and he uses that to set up his his big shots. That's how he hurt Tuavasa. But the thing is, Tuavasa was able to weather it, get back to his feet, and finish the fight in his favor. If he can't get you to a point where he catches you with a big counter or he pushes you back straight up against or the cage, you can take it. You know, yeah, what, yeah, remind, you know what you remind me of. Um, and sorry, I'll, I'll make this short. You've seen like the self-defense guys, right? Or people have self-defense stuff. Like you do this yeah. in this situation. Some of them are actually all right. Some of them actually make sense what they're doing. But what they do is they teach you a specific little trick that'll get you back up or it'll help you defend a takedown or something or land a certain shot. But if that shot doesn't land perfectly or you don't get the perfect position or escape, they don't, they're teaching you one aspect. They're not teaching you the whole system. Lewis has these little tricks they can create openings, and his power is good enough that he can maximize them. But when he creates the opening and he can't blow your doors off, he's essentially done. It's all little tricks. It's not an actual skill. It's like he's clever. He's got good time. He's got good management. 
what is his actual, I ask again, what is his skill set that he does that matches being an elite fighter in the UFC, a two-time title challenger? He's got to have the most shallow skill set compared to any title challenger in history in UFC. That's just my opinion. I'm not hating on him. He's very effective. But what would you would you tell would you tell a regular kid, a regular fighter who doesn't have big power or big size or big strength to fight like Derek Lewis? No, he'd be killed. Nobody can fight like Derek Lewis except for Derek Lewis. It's not sustainable. It's not replicable. So to me, that makes it not good. Understood. There. Let's talk about Tuivasa real quick because I want to know if you see him as a real threat to the heavyweight title, especially now with there being a little bit of a question around who's going to be fighting for the championship next. Well, with Nganu out and um, Gon kind of, I mean, Gon's behind. Yeah, I mean, Nganu showed a path to victory to beat Ngan. We don't know if it'll work again, but it's worth a try. It's worth a try. Um, and secondly, right now, Nganu's out, so he, he might be better out for the better part of a year, if not forever. So Tai Tuivasa is in a good position because, A, he's moved up. He had a big win over the knockout king. Um, but now he's in a position where he's considered a little legitimate contender. And more importantly, because he's coming off such a big win, guy like Stipe or a guy like John Jones, who wants to leapfrog the line and be considered an immediate contender, has a fighter in Tuivasa who's athletic, who's big, who's strong, who's dangerous, and who's, who's got a, a fairly wide skill set but isn't really dynamic or dominant in any aspect of the of MMA. So you have a guy who's dangerous, but a guy who's just limited enough and just flawed enough that he could be had by a fighter who, in Stevie's case, is a little bit on the decline athletically and durability-wise, or in Jones's case, who isn't a natural heavyweight and hasn't really has leaned on some advantages he may not have at the weight class. Tuivasa has just enough vulnerability where you might be able to exploit him. So you could get a big win over him, and it'd be a lot easier than fighting someone like Cyril Gaon, who's going to give you some technical outfighting, some accurate shots, some volume, some movement. So I think two of us is in a big position where he could, A, make big money, and B, if he beats a Stipe or a John Jones, even though Jones is in a heavyweight, that instantly pushes him further up into the rankings as a possible um, champion or interim champion. And I like the idea you talked about the tournament. That could be likely. Or they could have someone like Stipe come in and see if they could go an interim championship between Stipe and Tuivasa or, or something. Either way, he's he's maybe a fight or two away from a title fight. I don't think he'll ever fight Ngannou because I don't know that Ngannou's fighting again. But right now, he's a fight or two away from a title fight. Good stuff there, sir. I, I, I think that they would do – that. it would bode well if they found a way to put him in a main event situation that would kind of – swirl around the heavyweight picture. I think they have someone that they can build into a marketable name. Um, everyone loves him. Uh, he is definitely a an attraction when it comes to fighting and seeing him knock guys out helps. I would like to see him fight maybe like a Rosenstruck next. Someone that's going to stand there and throw punches oh, with well, him. Rosenstruck's got, got Tybura, though. I, I know his camp. He's fighting Tybura. Now, if he beats Tybura, that might work. Actually, Marcin Tybura and Taito Avasta is probably a better fight than him and Rosenstruck. In my opinion. Why would you say that? Uh, Tybura likes to throw a lot of volume. He's kind of there to be hit. Rosenstruck, even though he's he had he's shown some vulnerabilities as far as his chin, is still one of the better strikers in the heavyweight division. And on paper, that's a more difficult fight technically. He doesn't have Derek Lewis is elite, but he's very limited skill-wise elite. Rosenstruck isn't considered elite, but he's a much more skilled, a much more seasoned fighter. I'm not saying it's a fight he can't win, 
I'm saying it's a much more difficult fight. And at this point, he just wants to move up in rankings and get a title shot. There's easier ways to go about that than fighting someone like Rosenstruck. Now, if he has to, he could win it, but it's a it's one of the tougher fights in the division. Very true, very true there, sir. Let's talk about another fighter who had a great performance on Saturday, Bobby Green. He picked up a big win, and it's such a big win. I don't know if you saw the news about this, but he's stepping in to fight Islam Makashev on 10 days' notice at uh, on the 26th. What is that, UFC 272? So what did you think about his performance on Saturday? And then let's talk about that fight with Makashev. Start with the performance first. Uh, I thought it was good. I mean, he was being he was being a lot busier. He seemed to be. I mean, he was still doing the Bobby Green thing, the the talk trash, putting on a show for people. But the thing that I noticed the most is he seemed a little bit more. He had more mean intentions. It's kind of like when Dominic Cruz in his earlier phases would like bounce around. He'd land counters, but he didn't he didn't really sit on the way he did before. It seemed like Bobby Green was more willing to sit on his shots and more willing to put his shots together. He essentially, um, I mean, the fight wasn't really close. He he kind of just dictated terms and had his way in the fight. And I'm glad that he's taking another fight because he's striking while the iron is hot. I feel like Bobby Green is the kind of guy who should be a star in the UFC. And I feel like he's the kind of guy who should have been considered a top three to five lightweight. But because he's always been so hesitant to let his hands go and always been more willing to slip and put on a show, it's cost him as far as his rankings and wins. He's kind of like in the Angela Hill. He's got a look. He's got some charm. He's got a good style that makes for exciting fights. But strategically, he makes decisions that have kind of hindered him from putting together enough big wins to get to the big spots. Now he got came off a big win. He sees an opportunity against a high-profile guy who's on a win streak, and he knows it's a no-lose situation. Even if he loses and moves down the rankings, he's still getting his face out there. He's still getting the fans behind him. And he's still building his his uh his Q rating. But um I, I think this is genius of him. And like I said, the only thing he needs to do is work. He can't let guys outwork him and out hustle him. He's got enough skills wrestling and striking where he really should be considered a top maybe three to five, five to seven at worst. Well, lightweight, but the reason he isn't is because he lets guys off the hook because he's too busy showing them how much better he is and how much how hard he is to hit. And he got a little he got away from that and it was more offensively minded. Um, on Saturday. Definitely. I can, I can agree with that there. Do we see a route to him defeating Makashev when they fight in a couple of days? I, Bobby Green is very hard to take down. He does have good grappling, but he, he has good defensive grappling. He doesn't use it um, because he doesn't find himself in positions to, to, to do so. His takedown defenses is strong. He gets back up quickly. Do we see a path to victory for him against Makashev? I think it's like the same path I used to say against um, Khabib. It's the same path I say against Cosma. You have to make them work to get to their spots. Um, the one time you saw Khabib really get stressed is when he fought Connor, and Connor was making him work to get those takedowns. He was catching him in between. He was trying to get his entries. He was catching him on the way to to exit. He was making him turn and just kind of pot shotting him, and then putting shots together and starting to build first a pot shot, first a pot shot, then a one two, then a one two, then a one two. Kick to the body. One, two, kick to the leg and start attacking multiple levels. Attack multiple levels. Don't just use your upper body for the pivots and slips because then your feet are still standing still. You can get to your legs or get to your body. But turn him. Make him work to get in his spots. Make him pay a price to get to his spots. And anytime he gets in any sort of takedown or any sort of clinch, you have to try like hell to make him work to maintain that position 
or to recover once you're scrambling out of it. It's just making him work at a pace he's not uncomfortable with. Because I don't think Islam is durable, and I don't think he hits as hard as uh, Khabib, but I do think he's comfortable in his grappling. I don't know that his, his takedowns are as devastating either, but you have to make him work for everything. It can't be trying to purely avoid him. It can't be he- charging headlong, taking him down necessarily, and, and trying to catch him off guard. It's making him work and tiring him out and making him feel some pressure and see what he does when he gets tired and when things aren't going his way. Because when things are going well, he looks like a juggernaut. When things aren't going so well, he can't get to his spots easily. He looks painfully normal to me. Good stuff. I'm, I'm, interested, I'm really interested in that fight. When it was announced, it really kind of caught my eye because I think that's a fight that Bobby Green can win, and it's one I'm looking forward to. I haven't looked forward to a lot of fights in a very long time. There's nothing on that card, especially at the main event, I'm really interested in, but this one really jumped out to me. He, he's a, stylistically, he's a tough matchup for Poirier. He's a tough matchup. He'd mm-hmm. be a tough matchup for Connor. He'd be a tough matchup for Gaethje. He beat the hell out of Tony Ferguson. He'd be a tough matchup for Benil Darius. Skill-wise and athletically, and it's what he does, he's a tough matchup for anybody. The reason he keeps not ever getting to that spot is because he just won't do enough work. Watch his fight and watch how many shots he slips and how many counter opportunities he have. And instead of countering it, no, dude, throw a punch. Yeah, we know he can't touch you, but you have to throw a punch. Don't mm-hmm. give me that Jorge Masvidal stuff. You have to fight to win this. It's not good enough to just make a miss. I agree with you there, sir. Um, let's move on to UFC Vegas 48. There isn't much on this card that really stands out. You have the main event between Johnny Walker and Jamal Hill at, at light heavyweight. Um, talk to me about that fight there and let me know if there's anything else that stands out to you uh, on Saturday's card. Uh, Hill versus Walker is two outstanding athletes and two guys. I mean, Walker was supposed to be considered the future of the division because he was such a dynamic athlete and had so much creativity. Uh, Jamal is starting to be look like a potential force in the division because he's a former basketball player. His length, his size, I'm sure the John Jones comparison has been made many times. He's athletic. He's fluid. Uh, neither one of these guys, I mean, one guy is very experienced, but neither one of the, these guys is really experienced at the elite level as far as how they go about their business and consistently putting together wins over the best in the division. Both guys have a lot of potential because of their skill set. The question is going to become, is Walker ever going to learn how to navigate and balance his creativity and his athleticism and focus it and, put, and not have a, a tight structure, but focus it in a, in a structure enough where he can maximize his physical tools. And instead of just having these big wins over these overwhelming opponents or these fairly exciting but ultimately fairly dominant losses to elite or close to elite guys, that he's going to be able to perform in a manner where he can break guys down, get in positions and actually win fights in an exciting but technically efficient and defensively responsible manner. Um, Hill doesn't have very much experience against elite guys. Hill doesn't have very much experience against guys at the peak of their powers athletically. So he might have a chance to do that against Hill, who's not a great wrestler, not a great grappler, who's a smart but I wouldn't say particularly nuanced uh, striker. Um, In the case of Hill, he's big, he's long, he's athletic, he's strong. He throws long strikes. he he attacks different levels. He throws straight strikes. He's tough. Um, he just lacks seasoning. He's he, he's aware of all the ranges of mixed martial arts. He does not have a lot of depth of skill in all the areas of mixed martial arts. So there's places you can exploit him. But because he's so good at distance management and shot selection 
and he's agile and he's athletic, he's able to athlete his way into and out of a lot of places that other guys can't. His big win over Ovin St. Pru was impressive in that Pru is a, a seasoned pro who's fought the best. It wasn't impressive in the fact that Ovin St. Pru is as athletic as he is and as much as he's improved, still makes rookie mistakes and lacks the depth of skills to really exploit some of the things Jamal Hill does, which is one, he doesn't really throw in combination. Two, he doesn't really throw at high volume. And three, he's good if if he maintains his distance. He is not great when you pressure him and can back him up. Um, Walker has the skills to back him up and overwhelm him. Hill has enough athleticism and length and natural ability to manage distance to stymie him if he doesn't have a structure and a process to get into his spot. So it should be a good fight. I have no idea who wins because I don't think either one of them is facing an opponent similar to the other. And I think that's what's going to make this fight interesting. Um, Walker's never faced an athlete like um, never faced an athlete like Hill. Hill's never faced an athlete with the creativity of someone like Walker. Yeah, I've written, I think, four or five pieces about this card here. And I couldn't tell you one thing of value on it. Like, the, and that's really what stands out to me about this card here. Um, when I saw that Walker and Hill were the main event, I really just rolled my eyes. And but this is the type of content we'll be getting from the UFC going forward because well, they it have. Is, it is an important fight for the light heavyweight division. They need fresh blood. They need these sort of changes. So it's important. It's just not good, like you said. Yeah, I mean, I definitely can see that. I'm curious. Let me see something real quick because I think. Because I don't think either one of these guys are ranked. Um, they shouldn't be. Maybe Walker. Walker might be. Light or, heavyweight. Walker is at ten. Well, yes, yeah, ten versus twelve. But I mean, look at looking at the rest of the division. It's like who who's going to raise up? Or who's going to rise up at two hundred five? Yeah. Um, you have Glover to share the champion. He's he has a tough fight against Yuri Prohashka coming up. That is going to be a tough one. Alexander Rakic is another name. That I'm looking at as well too, but outside of that, where's the where's the, where's the depth in this um, division? Yeah, neither one of these guys looks like future challengers. Uh, Walker's had enough time to have turned a corner. Maybe his new camp will help him. And Hills Hills too raw in the game for you to re- really assess that he could be that guy. There's some concerning things as far as his grappling, and to me, a little bit uh his durability could be called into question as far as being a fighter. So, yeah, neither one of these guys is tab for greatness, but it is important fighting the light heavyweight division because right now it's it's starting to be a retread of matchups and, and fights, and they need they need new blood. They need young guys in there who have the potential to uh, turn a corner and, and maybe do something or be something moving forward. Good stuff there, sir. Good thoughts. Um, I don't want to talk about anything else on this card. Let's look at some of the uh, – other news going on around combat sports and what's going on with boxing. Let's start there. Um, in boxing, we seem to still not know what Canelo's doing. I think there's a bidding war for uh, Canelo services, and I don't know if they're going to go with the Bivol Golovkin fight or they're going to see if PBC can offer enough of money to get him to fight Charlo. Uh, that fight with Caleb Plant did basically benefit PBC more than anything else because they haven't really had a lot of pay-per-view fights that have actually sold the way they thought they would sell. So Canelo really helped them out in that regard. And another fight against Charlotte could be even bigger. Um, so there's that going on. 
Um, we have Clarissa Shields and Savannah Marshall are going to be scheduled to fight if Savannah Marshall wins her next fight. It's not Katie Taylor versus um, Amanda Serrano, but it is one of the tougher matchups Clarissa Shields will have will be facing um, as a pro. Uh, Clarissa's Savannah's a knockout fighter. She's fought a lot of girls who are really under par or not her size. But the fact of the matter is, Savannah Marshall was an accomplished amateur. She completed a world world-class level and regardless of what the opposition she's facing she is a world-class type fighter so i think that clarissa shields is a much better technician and should beat her but clarissa shields has only fought two or three fighters maybe four who are comparable her to her as far as their amateur background or comparable to her as far as their athleticism and size those fighters all gave her competitive fights and none of those fighters in my my opinion hit like sarah savannah marshall does so there's a lot of people. This is a fight between an American and an Eng- English fighter. It should bring in a lot of attention. It'll probably be one of the better matchups in the second part of this year. And it, it's going to be two names, and it's already gotten a lot of steam and a lot of buzz due to the way they've been sniping at each other in public. So yet again, it's another big, exciting event for women's boxing. And uh, finally, we still we still don't know who George Cambosis is fighting. After beating Teofimo Lopez, um, he's been weighing out his options, and we still don't know if he's going to fight Devin Haney, if he's going to fight Lomachenko, if he's going to try and wait for Ryan Garcia to come back, get a win, and then fight him. It seems like Cambosos is just trying to – he wants to fight in Australia. He wants to have a big fight in his country, which I get, but it really seems like he's – originally he seemed like a breath of fresh air, and once again, I don't have to get in the ring and take punches, so he's got to do his best for him and his family. but. Much like it was before, it's a lot of guys posturing on social media, a lot of guys talking about contracts and what they want to get paid, a lot of guys talking about, I'm the A side, you're the B side, and once again, we have a guy who's got the titles, who's making more waves and news for calling people out and questioning people's heart than actually scheduling fights and making the fights happen that everybody wants to see, which is ultimately the problem that's been in boxing. Um, he said he won the best fights, and right now we don't know who he's fighting or when he's fighting. We just know he wants to fight in Australia, and there's three or four guys who are being considered for that spot. The interesting thing about this is Lomachenko is willing to take less money and do whatever he takes. If he has to give up money, he has to give up, sign whatever. He wants to fight so bad that the money is not a factor to him, and that's why I've been such a big Lomachenko fight. When he fought Teofimo Lopez— He's willing to take less money because he wanted to prove that he's the best. And while I don't know if it's the smartest thing business-wise, I'm sure his business is in order. But for fans, that's the kind of thing that makes a guy memorable and puts him in your top fighters of all time because he's not looking for the payday. He doesn't care who's the A-side. He sees the guy who's got what he wants, and he's going to go after it regardless of what it costs him financially. That's the kind of thing that makes people stand out as fighter. That's the thing that kind of evokes fan support and um, backing and allows you to kind of have the presence you have in the sport. And the final thing is, is an interesting case in Devin Haney, who's a young undefeated guy who has a title. He's been unable to get a title fight. He, nobody wants to seem to fight him. He's a guy who he's tried to get social media interest. He does a bunch of videos of sparring. He talks to the camera. He makes himself available. But every time there's a big fight or talks about big fights, he always finds himself on the outside looking in. So it's the case of where a guy is a very good fighter, has a very good skill set, has a has a solid resume, 
but can't find any way into the biggest name fights in any form or fashion. So it's an interesting study because everybody says, you know, we just want guys who want to fight. And Devin Haney wants to fight, but everybody seems to find some way around him. And it's very interesting to see a guy with his potential and his talent who can't who can't get anybody who's on the, who's at their peak or on the way up with any sort of Q rating into a ring. No matter what he does, he talks to the fans, he talks to the media, he keeps winning, he beats tough competition, and because he doesn't have a fan base, because he doesn't generate money, he can't find his way into any fight that's meaningful for him. He's he's basically willing to fight anybody. And I, I think part of it is his competitiveness. I think some of it is the fact that he has to take these chances because he can't seem to get anybody in a fight along the normal lines of how you would build and establish a, a fight. So um, that's that's the biggest stories in boxing, and that's just my little take on it. But I like people to pay attention to that Devin Haney thing because we've always talked about him repeatedly on the show. And every time we talk about him, he always finds himself just outside of the range of the guys he's wanting to fight, whether it's a popular guy a guy who's got a title or a guy who's considered the best, he can never seem to find those fights. No matter what his or his promoter does, no matter what him and his dad does, he always finds himself on the way out. And it's very interesting to me because I tell people it's a, it's a business. It's show business. And unlike NFL, NBA, and other sports where you have to be the best to get these opportunities, in boxing and MMA, part of you getting those opportunities is how much interest can you generate? And no matter what he's done, he's never been able to generate enough interest to get the fights he wants or needs to be considered the best. So one thing I really you, you talked upon, you touched upon it first when you just switched over to boxing, the fight between Taylor and Serrano. I'm really interested in seeing what the what the numbers do for that, um, specifically because they, they claim it's um, one of the biggest selling boxing fights at Madison Square Garden of late. So I'm really interested in seeing what those numbers look like. Did you see the back and forth between Serrano and Taylor around fighting three minute, 12, three minute rounds? Yes. Who does that favor more? Um, I think Serrano's calling it for a reason. Um, Taylor's had a couple scares and fights where if they, if those rounds would have went an extra minute um, against Pearson, I don't know that she wins those fights. She was able to navigate box holds, and punch enough to eke out very close wins, at least in the first fight, and get out some very rough spots in the second fight because those rounds were short. To me, I think Taylor doesn't want to take it because she figures if Serrano's asking for it because Serrano has an advantage, and she doesn't want to give her any. She's trained to do two round, two two minute rounds, and everybody's like, it's just one extra minute. That's a big difference if you haven't trained for it. If you built your whole mindset and strategy around these two minutes. I mean, how many times have we seen a fight and, like, if that fight went 30 seconds longer, it'd be over? And with these kind of stakes and this kind of money on the table and what this could mean for her career and her standing, there's no way she's taking any other chances to do give Amanda Serrano any sort of avenue to have an advantage over her that she hasn't earned herself. Very true there, sir. Very true. Um, thoughts on Bellator this weekend. They have a card coming up. I know that'll be the last topic that we touch upon. I'm interested in the welterweight fights that they have uh, scheduled. Yeah, I I like I would I really I don't know I just don't know what it's ever going to take for Bellator to really break. I really felt at the moment there was a moment when they had their pay per view where I really felt they had a chance to turn a corner, and it just hasn't ever happened. I don't know if they don't spend the money. I've always accused it to the depth 
You have too many of the same matchups. You don't have enough guys that people recognize, so you can generally understand how good the fighters they have at the top. The way the UFC does it is I have these top guys, and they beat the hell out of 12, 13, 14, 15 ranked guys, 10, 9, 8, you know, and then they get up to around 7, and they start having tough fights. I've used his dominance against these lower guys who are established and have a reputation to establish how special this fighter is. In Bellator, you pretty much get rematches or versions of people fighting out of weight classes, and as a result, it kind of hurts the professionalism, and it kind of hurts the validity of them saying that they're a pound-for-pound guy or an elite guy. Because you and me, we understand if a guy moves up to one, like when Vincent Henderson moved up 170, we understood that was a big thing for him to take on an elite guy at 170. There was a at least a 50-50 chance he loses, but to casual fans, it makes people think that Ben Henderson is a fraud. So it's like they don't have enough depth to build up their fighters correctly and keep them busy enough with interesting matchups so you can establish to the fans how good they are. And um, it's it's hurt their product. They can't ever get the momentum and the few chances they had when they had the heavyweight Grand Prix and they had some of these big matchups. They just weren't. They haven't been able to build off any of them. So even when you have important fights, it it never really strikes the nerve it should. It never gets the traction it should because the or the the promotion as a whole has never captured the the audience's imagination or hasn't been able to build off any momentum they have. I mean, think about how many great fights they've had and they built nothing off it. Ryan Bader won, was a double champ. They didn't really build off that. You know, that they didn't they didn't build off that at all. You know, they could have built off Heavy Harder, Rudin Her, Aaron Pico. He had a huge following. They gave him a tough matchup that lost and yeah he's he's still fighting, but it took so much of the shine off of him. And they've just never been able to find anything to hook people. And when they have, they somehow manage to run it off into a ditch. And until they find a way to build some consistency and consistent activity with their bigger stars and their bigger names, they're never really going to be in a position to overtake. I don't think they'll ever overtake the UFC, but at least be in a position to be a real competitor to them. Yeah, I would definitely want that, too. Um it's, it's, it's very similar to what you see with the WWE and AEW right now, where AEW is bubbling up as a true contender to the WWE and is having some ramifications across the industry. Wrestling at a whole has gotten better in the last two years than it was in the previous five before that. So that's definitely something that competition does bring. I mean, I always I always make the um, I always point to the idea of. What if there was one video game system and one video game that, that that you had to play because there wasn't any competition? Like, how would that impact the industry? The same thing is um, true across movies, across sneaker lines, across fighting companies. So, I, I definitely wish Bellator would cross that point. They have good fights and they have good fighters. I mean, Neiman Gracie versus Logan Storley is a good fight. It's a good fight at 170 pounds, but they, it, they, no one's going to see it. So, so many of their fights are guys who are clearly on decline or guys that are basically squash matches. How good can I know you are You are when you're beating guys I've never heard of? And I've mm-hmm. talked to people who manage guy, fighters in, the, in Bellator, and I'm like, why isn't Bellator, when all these middle-tier UFC fighters are renegotiating, why don't you think in the short term and offer them a lot of money? Because fans recognize these guys. I know this guy beat a top fighter once. I know he, he was competitive with the best guys. So when your guy beats him or competes with him, it reestablishes your guy. But they have them beating these guys who we've seen get beat five or six times. So if your guy loses to a guy who's already lost six or seven times, what momentum can you build with that? 
you know the guy who's lost seven times is in a title challenger, and now we've exposed the guy, the high-profile guy we've been building, you've exposed him as a fraud, too. It's I mean, like that's they all very true. They, and they like, don't invest enough like, in their own product. Like, um, Gracie and Storley, these are two clear, like, I think they will easily be top 10 UFC welterweights if, if they fought there, but you know, this is the main event. It's a good fight. It's a fight that's definitely worth sitting down to see. I'm probably going to have screen and screen going because it's going to be going on at the same time as UFC on Saturday. But I mean, for that one, how, for that one fight, not for the whole card. Yeah, you're right. For that, well, there's one other fight too, the Jason Jackson fight. Um, I'm interested in. Let me pull the whole card up. Hold on one second. Let me see. I can pull the whole card like, up here. Even though, even though there's not really a big gap between the cards, with Bellator, since they don't have the cachet of the UFC, any card they put up has to be so much better. So even if they have the better card, that you those letters trump that. I mean, this is a good card, too. I mean, if you look at they have Andre Koreshkov, former champion, fighting Merkamed. Merk- 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 I, can, I can barely say that guy's name. But... um. He's fighting. Uh, let me see who else is on the prelims. They're here. they're they're all they're good fights, but are they fights that grab the attention? No. Or do they have guys who grab the attention? When's the last time you saw a Bellator guy interviewing on ESPN? Like they're not putting themselves in position. Some of these guys have personalities. You just have to get them on a form to show it. Not MMA fighting. Not MMA ratings. They need to be on somewhere where they could draw in other people with their character and their charm and their interest instead of signing. Faded fighters to drag in people, build your own guys and build their media presence so they can bring in people organically. How are the Pitbull brothers, as good as they've been for so many years, how have they not break out stars? Mm-hmm. Antonio McKee has somehow managed to break through. Nothing Bellator's done for him. It's just, it's just they haven't set their guys up for success. I can agree with that, sir. I definitely agree with that. Um, let's go ahead and close out the show. Uh, what else are you working on and where can we find your stuff? Uh, you can find myself on MMA ratings. I do some stuff for severe MMA. Um, talk a lot on Twitter about coaching and breaking down fighters and breaking down fights and occasionally gloating about how I've pretty much called every big major fight so far this year from Pena to Ngannou. Nobody, nobody said Ngannou wrestling. Everybody thought Strickland was going to knock that guy out. I said, it's going to be a boring decision. They said, Rob might get the knockout. It is honestly, it might knock him out again. I said, decision. Uh, this is gonna be a great three a war. I was like two. I was like Lewis is fighting below pars. It's not gonna be what y'all thought it was. So I just give people my insights so they have a better idea how camps work, how coaches think, and some of the suggestions I have for fighters they want to continue to move in the direction they're moving. Good stuff there, sir. As always, you can find my content um, just about anywhere. Fan side of MMA, Daily DDT. And this podcast here, um, the Let's Talk Wrestling podcast will be on tomorrow. Plenty to talk about there. Uh, As always, thank you for taking the time to check out this show. Please be sure to like, share, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. We're working hard to grow that number so we can push it into the monetized space. We're a little less than halfway there, but we've we've been in that space for a very long time. So please be sure to like, share, and subscribe to our channel um you can check us out across multiple other podcasting networks as well too be sure to like and subscribe there um shawan humes you can check them out at black jordan breen myself at r garcia underscore sports so again i want to thank you for taking the time to check us out and we'll be back next week after shawan's one thing go ahead shawan
um, on Twitter, there's a, a page called Proud Black Fathers. I recently started following it. If anybody knows Michael Chandler, contact him and tell him to join that as well. Jesus Christ, you're not you're not gonna, you're not gonna let that man let live that down. He's a one. He's a fellow black father, and I will not have you slander his name. We need to stick together and lead these children into the future. All right. Well, there you go. Um, yeah, we're gonna close out with that, folks. Everyone, have a good night. Have a good weekend, and stay safe in these streets. All right. Have a good night, everybody.